Aren't you glad that God is a way maker and a promise keeper? That is so amazing. That truth is so encouraging. And I, wherever you are today, I hope that you find encouragement in that, that whatever circumstance you're in, that God has a way for you, that God has a promise for you. And uh, we're going to talk a lot about that today. So this morning, uh, as we meet together, we're going to talk about, we're going to continue in our series starting over. And today we're going to talk about something that everybody has in common, and that is that we all have regrets. I know you do. I know I do. And uh, today we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how do we overcome regrets in a barren land and how do we find the promises of God. So uh, let's pray and uh, we'll just jump right into it this morning. So Father, I thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy in our lives. Thank you, Father, for today that we have the opportunity, Lord, to meet together in this time, God, to, Lord, to worship you and, Lord, to, to really take your word apart and understand it. And, and I pray, God, that the power of your spirit would be upon this next 20 or 30 minutes, God, and I pray that you would give me an anointing, a, the dynamic of the Spirit. I pray, God, that you would allow me to make clear the truths of your word. And I pray that you would give your people a heart to hear and ears to hear, God, what you have for them. And, Lord, we will always, always, always praise you for what you do in Jesus' holy and powerful and awesome name. Amen. So last year, you all know that I'm a football fan, last year the Kansas City Chiefs lost four games, last year, four games, and yet they went on to win the Super Bowl. It is never too late to start over. The bottom line is, with every loss, they had to start over. So that's what I want to talk to you today about. It's never late for you to start over. And here's why. Life is never a series of unending wins. That's just not life at all. Life is not one win, one win, one win, and pretty soon I get to go to heaven. Christians sometimes believe that they should be immune to failure by the virtue of their relationship to God, but that just simply isn't true. God often allows us to fail for a variety of reasons, for our own character development, for his own purposes, for something he wants to do in other people's lives or in our lives. So God ordains the process of failure along the way. He just doesn't want us to stay there. Job 14.1 says, Man born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Your life is short, and the one thing you're promised is you have trouble in your life. That doesn't say, now watch this, that doesn't say unbelievers or the ungodly. It says man born of a woman. So who is that? That means everyone, everyone born on this planet has one thing in, one thing in common, that is we have a short life and we have problems in that process. And what we can expect is the truth is, is that life isn't always to the right and up, and up. It's just not that way. That's not how life is. We go through problems even though we belong to God and even failures. We are expected. This, mean that, this means that God does not promise to be, doesn't promise a life to be without failure. So where do I start in the recovery process? So let's start with the idea that you've had failure in your life. Let's start with that, that premise. And uh, whether you recognize it or not, sometimes, this is what's funny, is that sometimes we have failure and we don't even recognize it. So where do I start? When I wake up one morning and I realize that I have had a failure in my life, where, where do I start the recovery process? So I want to I suggest that you start here. Step number one is you, is you choose between two words. 
You choose between two words, and those two words are regret or repent. I have to choose. I can't live with both of those words. I have to choose one or the other. In November of 2004, this guy by the name of Frank Warren of Maryland handed out 3,000 3, postcards. They had, they had a stamp on them, and all the instructions were given was just simply this, is that write out your regrets, write out your secrets, things that you've never told to anyone. And there was a flood of mail that came into his, his mailbox and extraordinary confessions of, of lives that had, had uh, been messed up and, and truthfully they had never spoken to anyone about it. And then he started a website. And then he wrote a book about it. And bottom line is, is that over 150,000 people responded to his message. That is that we all have failures. What is yours? So you all have, you have to own your mistakes. The step, step number one is that if you're going to recover from this process, you have these two words that you have to deal with. You have to either regret or repent. And so you, repent means that I'm going to deal with whatever, I, whatever mistake that I have. In Proverbs 28, 13, the Bible says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Let me tell you that from another version. Let me just read it to, to you in another version. This is what it says. A man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. I love that. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. And the fact is, is that God is, it, is the God of a million chances. That's the bottom line. Is that when you and I choose repentance over regret, the fact is that God steps into our life and... Uh, and he does this amazing thing in our lives. We all have regret. Maybe, maybe you can relate to this video. I'm going to show you a video, my favorite commercial from Super Bowls. So watch this. Oh, oh no. Rod, you sent this email, reply all. You hit reply all. You know, I was wrong. You just sent this email to me. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> For drivers who want to get the most out of their cars, it's Bridgestone or nothing. <laughs> I just love that commercial. It is one of my favorite because we all can relate to that, right? You and I have probably sent something out and go, I really sent that? I did? I, I, I can't believe that. And then we have this regret and this, this, this sense of depression overcomes us. And uh, so here's the deal. You don't have to live in regret. You just simply don't have to live there. That is not where God would have you live. Now, what does it mean to repent? If we're not to live in regret, the other possibility is that I repent. So what does that mean? Repent in the Greek literally means uh, to change your mind. That's literally what it means. To look, for something in a, to look at something in a different way, to change your direction, literally that's the context of repentance. It is I was walking that way, and now I'm going to turn around and walk the other way. It means to change. You can do something about whatever it is in your life that you regret. What hinders us from repentance, and this has been true of my life, and I don't know if you can relate to this, is that what hinders us from repentance is the idea of self-pity. As long as I'm living in self-pity, I can never move forward. I can't take the, the risk. I can't move forward in life. 
So I've got to overcome this self-pity and stop feeling sorry for myself so that I can bring it to God. I confess it with my mouth and believe in my heart that God forgives me. And then I, I turn around from that sin and I walk away from that. And oftentimes when we find ourselves in a barren land, when we find ourselves in a desert place, it's because we're stuck because of some sin that we created, that we, that we did. And so wherever you are, whatever circumstance you find yourself in, my counsel to you today is repent. Turn from it, confess it. The Lord of mercy, the Lord of grace, the Lord of a thousand chances is waiting for those words to come out of your mouth. Just simply saying, Lord, I confess and you fill in the blank. God is waiting for those words. That's step number one. Step number one. I have to choose between these two words, regret or repent, and I'm hoping you're choosing repent. Step number two is simply this, is that if I'm going to get out of this barren land, I have to change my focus from the past to the future. Oftentimes, you and I get stuck in the past. I mean, that's why if you look around and you look at Facebook and you look at events, you, you find that we live in a culture that's very nostalgic. We live in an era that's very nostalgic. We're looking back. We're many, remembering the days before COVID, right? And we're just dreaming of those days. And we're hoping some days, though, sometime that will come back. But the reality is, is that you, are not, you and I are not to look to the past. We're to look to the future. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 says, No, dear brothers, I am still not uh, all I should be, but I am bringing all my energies to bear on this one thing. What's Paul bearing his energies on? Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God is calling us up to heaven because of what Christ Jesus did for us. So let me ask you this question. What are the thoughts that are dominating your mind right now? What are they? Do you think more about the past or do you think more about the future? As you evaluate your own life before God, your thought life, do you think more about the past or do you think about the future? Paul said in this passage of Scripture, I love this passage of Scripture, he says he strains, he grasps after the future. That's what he says. It has been said that the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The next best time is today. What are you frozen from doing? What do you need to start to doing today? Today, start learning, start growing, start loving, start living. That's how you get out of the desert, is you start making decisions based on the future, not on the past. Martin Luther once said, even if I knew that tomorrow the world would go to pieces, I would still plant my apple tree. That's so good. That's so good. You've got to start today. You have to start focusing on the future. The one thing that will hold you back more than anything else that I know is focusing on the past and not on the future. Step number three, and by the way, the, let me before I move on, your best days, I can say this with absolute clarity and certainty because I know the promises of God, your best days are yet to come. You might have trouble in this life, but the truth is, is that you're going to live millions and millions and millions and millions and billions of years into the future if you know Jesus. And if you know Jesus, listen to me carefully, your best days are yet to come. So you focus on that, not on the past, because the past just binds us. Or if, even if we have success in the past, 
The bottom line is, even if, the, if, even if it's success, the truth is, is that that success sometimes keep me, keeps me from moving forward. Step number three is that I need to believe the promises of God about myself, to me. I need to believe the promises of God. D.L. Moody said, God never made a promise that was too good to be true. Do you believe that? God never made a promise that was too good to be true. So let's dig that up a little bit. Let's, let's just kind of unearth that and, and see what that literally means, to believe God's promises about you. So let's talk, let's start with something you and I are very familiar with. Let's talk about Lake Tahoe for just a few minutes. Lake Tahoe is the eighth deepest lake in the world. On July 4th, 1875, a couple of fishermen discovered the deepest point of the lake. They took a, they took a fishing line and they kept putting it overboard. And they, this is what they discovered. They discovered that the lake at the deepest point is 1,645 feet. And later, following the invention of sonar, those findings were confirmed that that's exactly how deep the lake is. Lake Tahoe is so large that if a lake were tipped over, its contents would cover California uh, in 14.5 uh, inches of water. Maybe that's a good plan. I don't know. Tahoe could provide every person in the United States with 50 gallons of water every, uh, for a course of about five years. I mean, that's pretty amazing. Your use of water could never personally exhaust the limits of Lake Tahoe. Could never exhaust. Just, just think about this. Just the evaporation could, could service this country for five years. Everyone's needs for five years. That's how much water lies in Lake Tahoe. But the fact is, is Lake Tahoe, even as deep as it is, even as magnificent as it is, even as beautiful as it is, Lake Tahoe still has limitations. There's an end to it. There's a beginning and there's an ending. Now let's think about God for just a second. God has no limits. Whatever your need you have, whatever issue you have, it's not too difficult for God. <clears throat> God is not weak. God is not unable to do it. God's resources are inexhaustible. You cannot ever empty God out of the resources he has for your life. So if I am going to move forward, I have to believe the promises that God has made for me, to me. So I want to take just a minute, and I'm going to chase a little rabbit for just a second because on Facebook I see that there are a lot of people that don't understand necessarily how promises of God work. So I see a lot of people quoting a, a particular promise, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to unpack it for you so that you'll understand it. You can, you, know, you can write your emails to me if you'd like, but if really just tell God how stupid I am if you don't agree with me. That would probably be the best way to do it, okay? So the promise that I see all over Facebook is this. 2 Chronicles 7.14, and this is what it says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and basically seek God in this humility, then I will, heal, I will hear their prayer, and I will heal their land. And I see that promise thrown out all over the, time, all over the place and saying if America would just humble themselves and pray and repent, then God would heal our land. And he might. He might. But that is not a promise that was given to America. In fact, here's the thing. That was a promise that was given 
to the nation of Israel out of the Mosaic Covenant. If you know anything about the Mosaic Covenant, God says to Israel, listen, I'm going to give you a land filled with milk and honey. It's going to be an amazing land. All you got to do is possess it. I'm going to fight the battle for you. And when you get in the land filled with milk and honey, this is what I command you to do. You've got to just fear my name. You've got to believe me. You've got to trust me. You've got to obey me. And if you do that, you will, you will, you will live in this land filled with milk and honey, and it will be amazing, and it will, you will have this beautiful relationship with me, and you can read all this in the book of Deuteronomy. But Deuteronomy also says, if you don't, if you don't listen to my words, if you don't fear my name, if you start worshiping other gods, then I will chase you out of the land and I'll make your land barren. And out of that, out of that, we now read 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people, who are, who are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, I will heal their land. Israel had a history of rejecting Yahweh, of living in their own power, of living in idolatry. And in every circumstance, God would send the prophets and he would warn them, and then if they repented, he would heal their land. And that's the context of 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. And uh, it's, a Davidic, it's, it's a Mosaic covenant promise. And God could, God might, but it's not a promise to America. What if God has a different plan? Now, I think we should humble ourselves and pray and seek God's face, but I just want you to, say, I just want you to understand this. As you read the Bible, this is what is important. As you read the Bible, you just need to know that everything isn't written for me, or I should say it this way, everything isn't written to me. There are certain promises. They're given to certain peoples, and I need to understand, this is how I interpret Scripture, context, context, context. So having said that, <clears throat> I want to just give you six promises that are new covenant promises. These that you can take to the bank. These come right out of, this comes right out of the new covenant. And so what I want to give you is six things that you can take home today. Oh, I, I guess you're already home. Six things that you can claim for yourself today. Six things that you can take to the bank. First of all, God promised to supply every need that you have. That's a promise from God. New covenant, to me, doesn't say that he's going to promise provide every want that I have or every uh, desire that I have, but everything that I need, God is going to provide for my life. That's the first promise that I can take to the bank. Second promise is God has promised that his grace is sufficient for me. He doesn't promise me that he, that, I, that he won't give me more than I can handle. I, he'll oftentimes give me more than I can handle, but what he promises me is that his grace will always be sufficient for me to deal with whatever God has given me. The third promise, God has promised that his children will not be overtaken by temptation, that God will always provide a way of escape. That in my temptation, whatever it might be, God is always providing something for me. He, he provides an exit strategy for me. That's a promise that I can take to the bank. 
The fourth thing, out of the new covenant that God has promised me, he promised me victory over death. Victory over death. That out in John chapter 11, Jesus said that if I believe in him and if I believe in his promises, I will never die. I'm just going to pass from this life to the next. And that death has no sting, death has no victory over me. And the fifth promise that I see in the new covenant, God has promised that all things, not some, all things work together for the good to those who love and serve him. So whatever happens in my life, God is going to take that circumstance, that pain, that sorrow, that unfortunate happening, God is going to take that and he's going to use it somewhere, somehow in this life to develop my character, to help somebody else. <clears throat> it's an amazing promise. Sixth promise is simply this. God has promised his people eternal life. God has promised his people eternal life. Now, what does that mean? When we think of eternal life, oftentimes we think of length, but that isn't necessarily the context of what eternal means to God. What, what eternal means to God is a kind of life. It's a quality of life. And in that quality of life, it is an amazing promise that God has given to us, that God has given us the beautiful life, the good life. In this life and the next, this life hap doesn't happen to end if you believe in Jesus, but God has promised this quality of life to you and me. Step number four. You've got to remember the past. You've got to remember the cross. How does God take a minus in your life and turn it into a plus? He makes a cross out of it. You see, God specializes in turning crucifixions into resurrections. And Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross so that you could have a second chance. So you could have a way to deal with your regrets. It's never too late. One of my seminary professors was a guy by the name of John Stott. Very famous guy. And uh, he wrote a, a classic book called Basic Christianity. Shortly after he published this book, he got this letter. It was a, we're going to call it a Dear John letter. Dear John, thank you for writing Basic Christianity. It led me to make a new commitment to my life, to, a new commitment of my life to Christ. I am old now, nearly 78, but not too old to make a new beginning. Yours sincerely, Leslie Weatherhead. Now, that would just be a common letter if you didn't understand who, that, who wrote that letter. Leslie Weatherhead was one of the most respected and influential Christian leaders in the UK. Thousands heard him preach at the city temple. His books were, his books were read widely. He pioneered in the field of pastoral counseling, and he was the president of the Methodist Conference in the UK. His life was a devotion to Jesus. Yet at 78 years old, he was not too proud, not too worn out to make a fresh commitment of his life to Jesus. What about you? I believe the Christian life, listen to me carefully, listen to my heart. I believe the Christian life is a series of recommitments. I don't think it's a one-time thing. I don't think it's a one-shoe-fits-all sizes. I think it's a daily surrender. So what about you? Are you ready? Are you ready today to recommit? Maybe you're going to commit for the very first time. Commit yourself to the work of Jesus. 
Maybe you're in a desert place. I don't know. Maybe you're in a place where you're at your last, you're, you're at your rope's end. You're, you don't know what to do next. It's never too late. It's never too late to cry out to God, to cry out for his mercy, to ask him to save you, to deliver you. It's never too late. And maybe you found yourself in the desert and you have lots of regrets. You've got regrets in life. You've got regrets about sin, about choices, about decisions. It's never too late right now to confess those things to God. It's never too late. I don't care how young or how old you are. I don't care where you are. It is never too late to enjoy Jesus. It's never too late. And I just pray that you'll make that decision today, that you'll call upon his name again and again and again, because that's what keeps us out of those desert experiences. Father, thank you for this day. And may your spirit take my words and use them for your glory. In Jesus' holy and powerful and awesome name, amen.